right, all right, good morning. My name is Will Vakurvich. I am director of uh, Mission Collectives and Communities here. And we normally say something like, it's good to be here with you guys. Thanks for being here. Um, and that can, that can turn into those things where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you just say that, right? Because you're speaking in public and you should say nice things about the audience to get them to like you. But, but really, like it is good to be here with you guys today. Um, I, some of you guys may know I had the opportunity, my family and I traveled and we hung out with my parents and my sister. And so if you have family, you know that that can be really good or it could be other. Um, thankfully, it was really good. Um, and it was interesting to hear just about some, uh, the church that my parents are a part of and, and some different churches and, and being on staff here for almost a year, you get to know other churches, right? You get to know other pastors and hear about things that are going on. Um, and... Uh, there's some really good things going on in other churches. And I love Redemption Tempe. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to say anything bad about any other church. I'm just saying, genuinely, as a staff, we love you guys, and we are thankful for you guys. And one of the main reasons why is because you guys get it. And when I say you get it, this is what I mean. I mean, we can put a challenge out there like, hey, guys, as a whole church, we're gonna read through the whole Bible over the course of a whole year. And now we haven't been perfect, but like people are grinding their way through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges together. We say things like there's a need in South Phoenix for turkeys. And our previous record was 300 and you guys bring 408 turkeys. Thank you. Now, what that means is that your efforts combined with what God is doing across the valley and the Rio Vista Center was able to provide meals for uh, about 1,300 families, not individuals, families. Think about that. Yeah, if you can clap for Turkey, if you can clap for Turkey, you can clap for families, right? I'm thankful to be a part of you guys. You guys consistently amaze me with your generosity. And so I'm excited, right? We, we, we have this great turnout for the turkeys. We did the turkey drive, 408 turkeys. That's, that's really cool. That's really good. Um, our next opportunity you guys know about, we have affordable Christmas coming up. And starting next week, you guys can start to bring in your gifts. Um, so this is what I've been telling people because people ask, what should we bring? Think about yourself when you were a kid. What did you want for Christmas? And if they still make that thing, bring that. If you can't remember that far back, we're really glad that you're here. We're happy to have you here with us. Um, but there's a link that you can go check out, fostercareinitiatives.org slash gift list. And, and there are some things, and it's your typical, like think about what you imagine kids would like. I don't know, like a bike or a, a football or something that girls like to play with, um, whatever. Bring those kinds of things. Uh, don't wrap them because the families need to see what they are so that they can decide if their children will like them and, and purchase them and we'll do the wrapping for them. Also, if you guys wanna, wanna volunteer on December 10th during Affordable Christmas, um, we're still looking for volunteers, especially if you're somebody who wants to hang out with kids. That would be awesome. All you have to do is pass a background check. So um, we take safety seriously here. Uh, and so go ahead and sign up. You can do that uh, on the link as well with foster care initiatives on their website for affordable Christmas. Is all the info that you need. OK, 
okay? Um, I do have, I need to make sure that I also tell you, uh, every Wednesday night, we either have First Wednesday, which is a great time, think about culture and the gospel, or we have open Bible studies. If you are here and you look around and see, okay, people know each other, but I don't know anyone else, open Bible studies are the easiest way to get connected. We meet in this room on Wednesday nights at 6.30. The guys meet over there, the ladies meet over there, and we go through the True Story Project. We talk about what we're reading um, in that Bible reading plan, and it's a really, really good time. We highly recommend that to everyone, except for this week, because it's the day before Thanksgiving, so we're not gonna have open Bible studies this week, okay? So we're making that announcement. Please come to open Bible studies, just don't come this week. Come next week. Cool? Okay. So this is the part where we say if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. The ushers will come up. And I know how it works. Sometimes, like, ah, I didn't bring my Bible, but it's okay. We're going to be in the Bible today like we are every week, but we're going to be in multiple places. So it's not only going to be on the screen. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have an app for that, that's great. Go ahead and take the app out. But we're going to be covering about three chapters uh, in the book of Matthew. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Please take it home. Feel free to jump in the True Story Project with us. Our, our slogan that we keep saying is start today. If you're behind, start today. If you're new to this, start today. If you're confused, just start today. If you need help, there's a table in the back when you guys leave, and we'll be able to hopefully answer the questions that you have. So for about eight weeks, we've been reading and, and preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's been a good time. Um, one of the cool things that we did as uh, some of the staff that have the opportunity to preach across redemption is we met and we had a training day with um, a professor at, at Phoenix Seminary, um, Dr. Del Huse, who actually wrote a commentary. He literally wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount. And at the beginning of this training day, uh, as he's talking to us who, who will be preaching and, and teaching, he says, every time I come to this, this passage, I feel like just humbled. I feel the weight of what Jesus is saying, and, I, and I, at times I'm moved to weep, I'm moved to tears because it's so heavy. And I'm kind of sitting in the audience somewhat, you know, like smug and arrogant, like, ah, come on, it's not it's just Jesus, it's fine. But then we begin to walk through this, and we see the things that Jesus is calling us to, and we realize there is a weight to what Jesus is saying. And this is the last sermon in this series on the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus begins by saying, he who hears these words of mine. And we know not everyone has been here every, every week for the last eight weeks, so I'm going to try to recap what Jesus has said. And it's going to feel heavy. And just know that I'm on the stage, I have the mic, I don't have it figured out. So we're going to walk through this together, but before we do, will you guys please pray with me that the, the Lord would guide us in this time. Father, thank you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son who delivered this, this sermon. God, we thank you for your spirit. We ask that your spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say, not just then, but now, in this day, in Tempe, Arizona, for us. God, we thank you that you empower us to be your people. We pray that you would use this time together to shape us more clearly as your people in this context. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love you more. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So I'm going to start with um, 
a, a little bit of a confession that my wife has known for a long time, but I don't like to admit. Um, my wife tells me I don't hear things. I tell her she just forgets to tell me stuff, but I think she's accurate. Uh, and I realize that I'm getting a little bit, I'm not really old, but I'm starting to get a little bit older. Um, and I have a hard time hearing things. I can admit that. And so it typically happens like after a first Wednesday or on a Sunday when there's a lot of background noise and people are talking to me and I'm pretending like I'm hearing them. And then I do this weird thing where like I'll stare at their mouth to try to figure out what they're saying. And it's, if I've done that to you, I'm not a creeper, I promise. I'm trying to hear you. Um, and then there's a point where I just, I don't know. I don't know what people are saying. So then we, I do the awkward like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. And then people are like, well, I just told you this. That's such an inappropriate response. What are you saying? Instead of just saying, I didn't hear you, right? Like that's the first step. We need to be able to hear. And I think a lot of times we do this. Jesus has, has gone on this sermon. And, and then at the end, he says, if you hear these words of mine, and we're like, uh-huh, yeah, got it, got it, Jesus, got it. But in reality, we're distracted and we forget. And we think we get it, but like not really. So we just smile and nod and pretend like it's sinking in. We fake it till we make it. And I think it's helpful at times to take a step back, to, to review, to consider what's going on before we so easily nod and say, yeah, yeah, we got it, we got it, we got it, it's fine. And, and so we start where we try to start every week here at the beginning, and God created everything really good at the beginning, right? This sermon was preached in a context. It's not just kind of floating around randomly in the middle of some book of random things, but there's a story. There's a story that's unfolding, so we start at the beginning of the story to under the, understand the context of where we are now, and God created everything good. He spoke the world into existence. When he created humans, he said it was very good, the crown of his creation, and he breathed life into us, and we sinned. And we feel that sin today, and every headline that we read, every sad story we hear, every time we feel that weight of not the way it should be. We all have experienced this. We experience it daily, not the way it should be. I just drove back from California with a five-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. That car ride was not the way it should be. <laughs> we feel the weight of it, and we see in this story that from the minute sin enters in, there is God pursuing his people, looking for them, seeking relationship with them, providing for them, calling one man, Abraham, who would have a family that God would bless. God said, I will bless you so that for a purpose of you blessing all nations so that all nations would know who God is. God continues to grow and multiply this family into a people who find themselves in Egypt. And I like to say, if you've watched Prince of Egypt, the Disney movie, but somebody just corrected me after the service, it's DreamWorks. So I got it wrong, but somebody was really concerned with that. The DreamWorks movie, Prince of Egypt, we know this story, right? God was faithful to his promise and the people multiplied. They grew in number and Pharaoh got scared because Pharaoh saw that they were growing in number and, and he feared that they would join with his enemies and that Pharaoh would lose power, that Pharaoh would lose control. 
So he put God's people into slavery. He oppressed them. He set up systems in place to ensure that they would not continue to grow strong, but God had other plans. And God raised up Moses, who delivered them through crazy miracles. We read about about a month and a half ago, throughout the book of Exodus, these plagues and these crazy miracles, God delivered his people from Egypt. So consider this. Their only skill was building bricks. And they were able to take the gold, the silver, the treasures, the resources out of Egypt without a fight. God delivered his people. He brought them into a promised land and he gave a law to them because he was remaining consistent to his promise that this nation, this people would be blessed so that all peoples would be blessed. And this law was given to shape them into a people who looked like God, who acted like God, who showed concern for the vulnerable, who showed care for the, the widow and the orphan and the foreigner that was in their land. They were to be a welcoming people and inviting people because just like when we were walking astray, God welcomed and invited us into his family. That's what his people were called to look like. And at times they got it right. And at times they didn't. And because God cares about all people coming to know him, he would send them warnings. He would send them prophets to say, remember what you're supposed to be doing. You're not called to hoard your wealth. You're called to love. You're not called to secure your position of power. You're called to live for the other. And God gave them chance after chance after chance until finally God said, you guys aren't getting it. You don't get that you're supposed to live for other nations. So other nations came in and carried his people away. But God was faithful to his people. He told them, you continue to seek the welfare of the other. Because that's what I do for you. God brought them back to their land, but there were different empires that reigned over them. And so they were waiting, they were longing, they were asking these questions of God. How do we live faithfully in this strange land? This is home, but it's not home because the Greeks are ruling over us and then the Romans are ruling over us and what do we do? We want to live like you, but how do we do that in this context? And they came up with different answers. Some people said, look, we need to be God's people and so we need to build little God bubbles of communities and we're only gonna do God-like things and we're never gonna talk to those dirty people because they might contaminate us and we need to just seclude ourselves and separate from culture. Other people said, no, 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 you got that all wrong. There is something about power. We can assimilate ourselves into power. Yeah, we might need to compromise on some issues, but we can get power. Other people said, you guys both have it wrong. Here's what we need to do. Everyone has to arm themselves. We're going to take to the streets. We're going to revolt. It's time to bring on the revolution. Come on, arm yourselves. The zealots were ready for a battle. And Jesus comes. And Jesus starts healing people. Jesus starts, um, he, he says he's bringing uh, freedom to the oppressed. He's giving sight to the blind. He's fulfilling these prophecies. And pe so people are saying, okay, Jesus, we are divided. We are in a specific context trying to live out our faith, and we don't know what that looks like. We are deeply divided as a people. Not that there's any current application today, 
But in the midst of this division, in the midst of warring and arguing and questioning one another's fate, how could you make that decision about how to live out your faith today? Jesus says, look, guys, let me tell you what this faith looks like. Let me illustrate for you what it looks like to be a member of this family or of this kingdom. And this is how he begins his Sermon on the Mount. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5. Picture, maybe we sit down for coffee, and I want to share with you my family. And so I'll pull up my Instagram feed, and I'll start scrolling through photographs of my family, snapshots of what my family looks like in order to communicate to you, this is what my family is about. This is how Jesus starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We get snapshots. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Some people need to delete their Facebook app. For they shall be called sons of God. Sorry, that wasn't in there. That was my own. (laughs) Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And we've talked about this word. Righteousness can also be translated as justice. Blessed are those who are persecuted for justice' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Because of Jesus, not just because of a decision you've made, but because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus begins to throw down these these snapshots, these pictures of what his family members look like. And pretty quickly, like with the first one, I realized that's not always what's in my heart. Not always poor in spirit. I'm not always meek. I struggle to be a peacemaker. Rather, avoid conflict because it makes me feel awkward. I don't know that I hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice. I mainly hunger and thirst for like chicken wings, good coffee. And I begin to feel the tension. The tension begins to grow because Jesus is laying this down. Look, guys, this is what the kingdom is like. This is what the people who inherit this kingdom, this is what they look like. This is how they act, how they respond, how they interact with people. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Salt is no good on a shelf. Salt was a preservative. In order for a preservative to work, it must be in an area of decay. Not scared of it. To think through this metaphor, if we know that we are salt, then we're not worried about being contaminated by the world, but we're engaging the world in the areas of deep hurt, of deep brokenness, of deep decay, because that's what salt does. We can't say that we're salt and not be in an area of brokenness. We can't say that we're salt and not be living out our faith. If everyone around us looks like us, prays like us, votes like us, we're probably not being very salty. Jesus goes on to say that we are like this city whose light shines from the top of a hill. 
This light is not put under a basket. This light doesn't stay within the walls of the church, but the light is out there on a hill in the middle of darkness because there's something about light. When you're walking in darkness and you can't find your way, that light draws you in. That's what we're called to be. Jesus takes this seriously just in the same way that God took this seriously when he was giving his law because God's name depends upon it. The spirit empowers us to live this out. We are the people who flesh this out in the areas of decay. We are the people who embody this light in areas of darkness, and it is serious. It's not just something to be posted about upon Facebook. The, the work of reconciliation, of being peacemakers, Jesus says this is in our DNA. And if it's not, well, then we need to ask ourselves some serious questions. This sermon, Ricardo has said it, I have said it, almost everyone who's preached has said it. It's not a sermon of Hallmark cards. It's not a sermon of cute slogans for t-shirts. Jesus says, look, what I'm telling you is different than the way you're thinking about religion. And he says, don't worry, I haven't come to abolish the law. I haven't come to say that everything else that you've known about God is, is irrelevant. I've actually come to fulfill it. I've come to embody it. And he goes on to say, the way that you thought about anger, you thought it was just about don't murder someone. That's not what God is calling you to. God's after the heart. And maybe you haven't physically murdered someone, but what's inside your heart? If you're angry with your brother, if you insult your brother, if you call your brother a fool, could be liable to the fires of hell. And as someone who has tried to engage faithfully in the midst of this election, I am guilty of those things. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us are. What if Jesus is serious about this? I need to consider how I think about other people. And I need to make a change. Jesus says, you guys thought that you were, you were doing great work if you just didn't commit adultery. And so what happened is the religious leaders of the time would use this interpretation of the law to receive benefits for themselves. And they would say, well, we didn't cross this specific line. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. It's not about a line. It's about your heart. God is after your heart. Because if as any of us who have ever been in a relationship know, we don't want a robot. We don't want somebody that just does what we want them to. We want somebody who actually enjoys us and we enjoy being around. They don't just hurt us because it's the law, but because they actually like us. And so as Jesus is starting to describe to his hearers that God is a father to them, this father, this good father is desiring relationship for a purpose so that we could be welcomed into his family and so that we could welcome others into the family. And so he says, look, it's not just about writing a certificate of divorce, but it's about being faithful to the covenant, to your word that you make. This extends to marriage. This also extends to oaths that the people were making. And he's saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He's shaping a people to look differently, to behave differently to respond differently than the world does. 
I don't remember what the next one is, so I got to look it up. It says, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist the one who is evil. And I start to rationalize, well, I mean, you don't really mean that, Jesus, right? Don't resist the one who is evil. You couldn't possibly really mean that. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. This is where I think Jesus starts to get really confused because we should care for our safety, right? And like our comfort, like we should be really comfortable. And then he goes on to say, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Jesus, what are you doing? If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You start to realize, I don't like this. I don't like what this means for my life because this costs something. I don't want to get in an argument on a Facebook thread and Jesus says if somebody hits me, I got to let them hit me on the other cheek also. But church, what if this was our posture? What if we continue to press in this idea that generosity hurts, it costs us something? That we sacrifice until it's painful because that's the model that God has given to us. What if we continue to press into this and, and realize that maybe Jesus was serious and there is something to giving up our power and our privilege and our wealth and our security and our comfort and not only consider our own interests, but also the interests of others? It starts to get scary and he says that we should love our enemies and that we should be praying for those who persecute us and then he says that we should be Perfect, as our Father in heaven is perfect. There's a weight to these words. There's a, there's a heaviness that we're called to. We feel it because it's so different than what we're used to. We've started seeing Black Friday commercials already, and, and it's interesting to see how they've changed over the years. I was reading this article where Black Friday used to be, you know, this great time where you can buy all of these gifts for other people. And then it was like, hey, you can buy all of these gifts for other people, and well, why not spoil yourself? And some of them now are like, you can get great deals because you deserve it. We've completely <laughs> turned our eyes from the other and back onto the self, and what kind of great deal can I stand in line for? And then Jesus takes these three pillars of the Jewish faith of giving to the needy of the Lord's prayer, of prayer and of, of fasting, and, and, and he frames this conversation in such a weird way because if we were going we to preach this to ourselves, we would say something like, okay, look, if there's ever a point when you have a lot of extra stuff and you get around to it, in order to feel like a good person, you should maybe consider giving to the needy. If there's some extra time in your day, if you didn't hit snooze too many times, and if it's not too hectic, you might want to think about praying sometime. Hey, you know, if you want to get really spiritual and holy, maybe once, try fasting. And not like fake try fasting and like slip up and eat lunch, but like really try fasting, right? Like we would say, I, sorry, I would say something like that to myself, but Jesus does this weird thing where Jesus says, when you give to the needy, and when you pray, and when you fast. Like, he's assuming that we do these things naturally. And I feel the weight. Because I know what my own heart is like. 
He goes on to talk about don't be anxious, but trust God with what we need for our lives so that we can seek the kingdom with our whole heart. He says that God is not just a father, but he's a good father. He knows what we need before we ask it. So he tells us to ask, to seek, to knock, to come to him because he wants to give us good gifts. If we trust and if we step forward in that, he tells us not to judge because that's his job. He tells us to remove the plank from our, old, our own eye and, and the language here is like a beam that supports a roof. Could you imagine one of these weird <laughs> things in your eye? He says, remove that so you can see clearly to take the speck from your brother's eye. He's not saying we can't hold each other accountable. He's saying, no, in this family, we hold each other accountable, but we realize how much sin is in our own heart. That posture of humility is the position from which we move to hold each other accountable. And he gives a summary. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And then he says we need to make a choice. And he gives a couple illustrations. He talks about a narrow way and a wide way. The wide way is easy. The narrow way is hard. He talks about these, these false prophets that would come, and they look like sheep, but really they're wolves. And the only way we can tell the difference is by their fruit. If you guys weren't here last week, Tyler did a phenomenal job preaching about this, one of the most timely messages I've heard. I highly recommend you download it if you haven't heard it. Then Jesus ends. He says, okay, if you hear these words and do them, then you're like a man who builds a house upon a rock. And just like Jesus has done throughout, he, he's used illustrations of things that are around him. So he says, you know, you know what God, God's care for you is like? It's like these birds. They don't have a bank account, but God feeds them. God takes care of them. I know you're really worried about what you're going to wear, but think about who's the wealthiest person you know. Solomon. Solomon. Solomon wasn't dressed like these flowers here. Jesus continues to use these illustrations of things that are around them. And so he says, you're like a man, if you hear the words and do them, you're like a man who builds a house. And what would happen where they preached this sermon on the mount was by the sea. And fishermen would come during fishing season, and they would build these little huts. And some guys would take the time to find some bedrock and to build their house upon a rock. So when the, the waves came and the rain came and the storms came that were normal for that region, the house would be supported. So Jesus could literally say, look at that house. It hasn't fallen down because there's a foundation. Look at this house. This house is collapsing upon itself because the foundation everything has been built upon is faulty. We, we know, we understand this concept. Right? This is what we tell our kids. If you make good choices, there's good consequences. If you make bad choices, there's bad consequences. 
As I was sermon prepping, I won't say where I was, and I hope the person isn't in here. Um, I was sermon prepping in a local uh, coffee shop, and I had my earbuds in, and there was music on. I wasn't trying to overhear, but there was like a really loud talker in the table right next to me. So I couldn't help but hear the conversation, and pretty quickly into it, I realized what was going on. One person in the conversation was the manager of the establishment. The other person was an employee. The conversation went something like this. On September 4th, you showed up 15 minutes late to your shift and you received a verbal warning. On September 20th, you showed up 30 minutes late to your shift and you received a written warning. You signed your name saying that you understood what would happen. On this day, you showed up late. On this day, it was this. You signed your name. You heard the words and you did not change your actions. And so awkwardly, this girl gets fired, like, in the table right next to me. And I'm trying to figure out, like, okay, can I, do I stay? If I leave, will they know that I heard everything? But this is the reality. Jesus is saying, look, guys, this is what the kingdom looks like. This is what it means to be a part of God's display people who show all nations what God is like. And we need to choose. He calls us to be introspective, to consider what kind of fruit we are bearing. Not just like, oh, yeah, 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 I love my enemies. But how do we know that's true about ourselves? What fruit are we producing? We just read a couple weeks ago when we were in the book of Joshua during the True Story Project, Joshua makes his famous speech, right? Choose this day whom you will serve. Jesus says, he who hears these words of mine and does them. And we're confronted with this choice. What will we do? How will we respond? And this is where it's really difficult to stand on this stage and call you guys to something I can never hope to live up to. I feel the weight of these words. I can't help but think we we're driving from California. Uh, I move into a lane on the 10. You, some of you guys have driven this road, heading back to Phoenix. In this van, I did not, I promise, I did not cut him off. There was plenty of space. He just turns the high beams on for like five minutes. And at first I'm like, okay, yeah, I get your point. You didn't want me to go there. And then it's like, really, dude? I'm like, looking back, like it's nighttime, like he could see me, right? And, and my wife, who's this like, brilliant woman says, hey, aren't you preaching tomorrow? <laughs> yes, okay, move the mirror, right? But this is the reality. The reality is we can stand on stage, we can talk about this, we can meet at coffee shops and we have our Bible studies and we say, yeah, we're God's people, we're gonna go change the world. And then when there's an opportunity, it's like, oh, but on Saturday? I got stuff to do. We say we're going to be peacemakers, but not with those people. Do you know who those people voted for? There's no way I could ever have a meal with them. Hey. <laughs> Some of us in a few days have the opportunity to sit at a dinner table with family members who think differently, who believe differently, how will we steward that opportunity? We have coworkers. We're in neighborhoods 
We have opportunities all around us to steward opportunities to live out the kingdom. How will we use them? Will we be as creative with these things, with loving our neighbor as we are with loving ourselves? Will we just feel the weight of it and throw our hands up? God can't use me. I'm too flawed. I get too angry. I hoard all of my stuff. Whatever our thing is, guys, it's all of us. Reality is we can't do it alone. And we're silly if we think we're called to do it alone. These words were written for us, but not only us. These are words that God's spirit has used to shape his people from generation to generation. God is inviting us into this group of people, into this family that works together, that holds one another accountable, that speaks truth seasoned with grace, for the purpose of living out this concept of God's display people. And so where I fall short, I have brothers and sisters who can pick up the slack. And in areas where I see sin, I have brothers and sisters that I can come alongside in a loving way and call them towards Jesus. It's not that we, any of us, have it figured out, but like Ricardo says, discipleship is one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is, and Jesus is that bread. The Spirit empowers us as we move forward. And let's not pretend like, you know, the church can't talk about politics. Our nation is split. We feel it. You can't turn on the news. You can't read a newspaper or scroll through an app without seeing it. So how do we respond? At the beginning, we talked about the context in which Jesus preached this sermon, and there were those who just wanted to seclude themselves with people who thought like them. There were others who were willing to water down their faith for this allure of power. There were others who were ready to bring on the revolution. How do we respond as God's people? And what we see is we respond with humility. We respond with love. We respond with truth seasoned with grace. We respond as peacemakers who turn the other cheek. We rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. We lament when there is injustice. We do these things not because we're brilliant and we've made these things up because we have a God who has embodied this fully, better than we ever can. We follow the footprints of Jesus towards suffering for the other, towards speaking truth to power, towards reconciliation, towards love instead of division. We can't do it alone. Thank God we have the Spirit. Thank God we don't just have the Spirit individually, but thank God for a body of believers, for a true family who can come around us as we strive to live this out. Church, this is why we're here. This is why those of you who would call yourselves saved, this is why we have been saved for the other. Because Jesus was sent for the other. Jesus lived and preached and healed for the other. Jesus knew what was awaiting him and he walked steadily towards Jerusalem for the other. He endured trial, he endured torture, he endured crucifixion for the other. He endured death. 
for the other so that on the third day he would be raised back to life so that the spirit would be poured out upon all who would call on his name so that God's people would continue to carry forth God's mission in their current context. We would see the lessons of those who have gone before us and flesh it out today. Just as God put on flesh and dwelt among us, that is what we're called to do together, to live out these words of this sermon today in our context. I don't have a great illustration, but this is what I do have for you. I have prayer. Will you please join with me as we pray that God would use us as his chosen people to make an impact in his world. Father, thank you. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your spirit that empowers your people. Thank you for your son who lived and died and was resurrected so that spirit could be poured out on your people so that they would tell someone who told someone who down the line it got to us, thank you for saving us, Lord. God, help us to remember why you saved us. You saved our individual souls for a purpose that communally we would move forward and impact your world. We would be salt in areas of decay. God, we would be light in the middle of the darkness. Help us to do that. Continue to form and shape our hearts so that they love you more than anything else. God, we pray that you would pour out your love upon us so out of the overflow of that love, God, we would live out your kingdom. God, out of the overflow of that love, not out of our passion, not out of what we think is right, not out of what we feel pressured to do, but out of the overflow of how rich and deeply you love us. Lord, help us to love you more. God, help us to live as your people more clearly, more boldly, more creatively, and more lovingly in the midst of our context today. We thank you that you care about this mission way more than you do, that you care about this mission way more than we do. (laughs) We thank you that your spirit empowers us for this mission and calls us forth. Help us to follow faithfully. We love you, Jesus. Help us love you more. We pray these things in your name.